0: And I believe we are also um, recording. So um, just an introduction to our experience dialogue here. In these interactions, we just pick a hot topic. We don't have a straightforward answer. And then we bring in speakers who have been there, seen this, but approached it in very different ways. Um, This is a space for healthy disagreements and discussions, but in a very respectful way, just by the nature of how we have conceived this, we will see passionate voices um, of opinions, friends just having a dialogue and thereby even interrupting each other or finishing each other's sentences. At the end of this, we want you, our audience, to leave with approaches that you can try in the workplace. And we continue the dialogue in our uh, Slack and uh, LinkedIn channels. Uh, There are three different um, Slack channels and around um, 11 different LinkedIn groups where the questions are coming in. Um, so as, uh, we start off with it, we will start off with some pre-prior questions, but feel free to have these interactions and we'll bring those questions in and, um, make that our comments and make that as part of the discussion with that, I want to introduce us to the topic for today. um, um teams want to encourage diversity in all forms, socioeconomic education, thinking, gender, race, age, geography, and culture. The topic is very large. And uh, with the Break the Bias team this year with the International Women's Day, we planned a three-part series. And the part that we are discussing about is how to attract and hire diverse talent. Attracting and hiring diverse talent entails everything from the job description that caters to diverse candidates, Uh, the messaging by the interviewers, the interviewing styles, communication, culture of the company, onboarding, and so on and so forth. It is my honor and privilege to announce the speakers here today. Um, David, um, David is the chairman and president of VT Women in Technology um, International. And they they are a global organization. They are founded in 1989. They have around 160,000 members and 300 plus corporate partners, 87% female and 32% in leadership positions. The interesting thing that I learned recently is um, um, uh, Viti actually participated in a glass door ceiling research in 1995 that they are redoing as a 2.0 research coming up um, and we would it would be wonderful to hear a lot of insights from that research today. The other speaker we have is Niharika. Niharika is the SVP of the executive programs at WITI, and she's also a techie, so she has written a book and uh, for cybersecurity for project managers. Um, uh, She has both corporate and nonprofit uh, experience, and it would be an honor to have her lead in with a few questions today. Um, As we are talking about the research and as we are bringing up all of these uh, discussions, we may pop in a um, slide or two here, but other than that, it's going to be pretty much a dialogue. Um, So Nikarika, David, pleasure. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah,
2: thank you for having us. Karpagam, Shraddha, Ascendo AI and support group. We are excited.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Um, Let me start off with the first question. Uh, Why? Why why is it important to even have diversity and what benefits does it bring into the organization?
1: Sure. Um, Look, I think there's a lot of data out there, some of which we'll have and I'll, I'll share a little bit more about the current research we're doing. You know, and actually, let me go back. One of the inspirations of witty starting back in the 80s, in the mid-80s, one of our big clients was HP Labs over up in your neck of the woods. And we worked with their technology group. And when you'd walk through the halls of HP Labs, they had all these focus group, focus group rooms. They'd have doctors, lawyers, people of different genders, ethnicities, colors, all just looking at how technology can improve their lives, and that's really when they did their work. It was really looking ten to fifteen years out on their technology roadmaps. That really became the inspiration for Witty. Once we decided to start it in 1989, right? So there's just and there's unlimited data about just how different opinions and and how. You know, different people use technology differently, right? So I think it's money, employee engagement, and and serving the humans. Great, that's great, David. And
2: I'll start with I'll kind of don't like to date myself, but 25 years ago when I started my career, I was the only woman in a switchboard manufacturing plant that was way back in LNT uh, India, and. Uh, kind of I thought what is it I mean is it really kind of rocket science why it's designed why there are women not there and then I came to U.S. in the U.S. I was managing infrastructure projects and there also I felt myself being the only women on the table and when I look back I see that had there been diverse diversity at that time maybe the things that were designed that would have been different because ultimately our business users are not just men they are diverse, people of all colors, race, gender, and whatever we are doing in terms of our
0: business and products has to cater to all our users. Uh, Neerika, I would love for you to uh, bring in some of the topics that you have seen in the research of RAS and Viti, and uh, we can continue the conversation that way. We have questions teeing in, but let's continue with the topics that you guys have researched and have a lot of data to substantiate with, please. Sure, sounds good.
2: So, David, you talked about witty starting in 1989. If you could share with the audience, how did witty start and where did it come from?
1: Sure. So, one of the uh, things that prompted the starting of witty, and I, I, my mom had had a company called Criterion Research that I started working with her in in 1987. And what we did with Criterion Research, we worked with Silicon Valley companies and then a few companies down in L.A. identifying people with core competencies in different areas of tech. And then we'd give them a report and they'd hire them, buy their companies, partner with them, that type of thing. Um, In 89, there was an article that came out that coined the term glass ceiling. And at the time, the conversation was about women approaching 50 percent of the workforce, but still only four to five percent in management, upper management positions. So the first President Bush and then shortly thereafter went into President Clinton's uh, administration, started a study about um, to look at this. We wanted what my mom's idea was as she had been, I was very young at the time, but she was in, you know, more interfacing with our clients that were sharing just some of the challenges they were having. And these were amazing women that were PhDs in physics, mathematics, those types of things. They weren't necessarily getting upset and angry about it. There were groups protesting and they had every right to do that, but they were just more disappointed because... You know, the more junior person would go golf with the director and then they'd get overlooked. So what we wanted to start with Witty is people are just starting to use email then. And it's like, how can we create this network that's very proactive, business centric and supportive to help our members get any connection, resource, piece of information they need to get to the next level. How we could include men in the conversation because we want them and many of them and most of them had were, were holding the executive roles. So we wanted them to have an open book and see our amazing community. And then on the company side, just educate, you know, why is this beneficial to the to the business, not just to, to check a box or try to look good or that type of thing. And that's how witty evolved um, back in 89. Things have changed a little bit since then. Um, yeah, David,
0: David, it would be wonderful to hear about the glass ceiling research in itself. Could you just sure. speak a little bit about it before, you know, Niharika goes too deep into it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I had, you know, at that time in 89, I had landed this company, Borland, that's over in Scotts Valley as a client and worked with them to grow Borland, with Philippe to grow Borland. Witty grew uh, grassroots. And then in 1995, we had our first Women in Technology conference. And everybody said, oh, you know, you'll get a couple of hundred people. We had 2,500 people at the uh, Santa Clara Convention Center. So it was exciting. And then word started getting out about what we were doing. We had then been contacted by a woman named Renee Redwood, and, um, who was the executive director of the Glass Ceiling Re- Commission. Um, And then, you know, and she was she was uh, and she had headed up this four year research project. So they came to us and said, hey, could you help share this information with technology companies? And really, a lot of the research had to do with, you know, what are some of the systemic issues that are presenting that are preventing women and underrepresented minorities from getting to the next level? in all companies and what can they do to really not lose on this opportunity? Because again, all this stuff is about the growth of the business, company engagement, making the shareholders happy. So we had Renee at our second conference. If you go into the conference archives on our site, I think there's even a transcript of her talk. We had, I think 40 companies in the Silicon Valley listen to technology companies listen to the research. So that's how we had initially got involved in it. Um, About it. Yeah, that's that's great, David.
0: uh, Why why 2.0 and why now?
1: Sure. So, you know, what we were looking at is, you know, all of us had been affected by the pandemic. And, And I think just leading up to the pandemic, you know, we just saw a lot of changes. Our members would constantly give us feedback about challenges they were having. Continuing to just getting fed up when they get to certain levels in companies and leaving. Um, and then we had had a talk at one of our one of our, our first virtual conference in twenty twenty because of the pandemic. And and um, Renee was was on a panel talking about some of the things that she had implemented because after she left the Glass Ceiling Commission, she just went in to do consulting, and and brought and was brought into companies that needed support in these areas. Now, a lot of times, and the two big ones that we'll talk about were Texaco and Coca-Cola. There were lawsuits, racial or gender discrimination lawsuits that prompted them bringing Renee in to really look at the organization and what they were doing. She had been brought in. There's a guy named Cyrus Metry, who's also famous for um, putting the Rooney rule into the NFL. And... Renee was brought in, did, you know, implemented many of the things, the learnings from the glass ceiling um, report and things she had learned since, and worked with the companies to really shift their environments. And now we've got six, seven years of data Texaco, Coca Cola, profits through the roof, employees are staying, they're engaged, stockholders are happy.
2: and david that segues into the question which we are getting is who all participated in this research
1: so yeah and that's, so anyways okay that that's why i said well let's let's update the glass ceiling report and and we're going to call it glass ceiling report 2.0 we're not 100% sure that'll be the name when it comes out Right now, the pandemic, I think what we've seen over the last three years now, everything's fast forwarded, digital transformation, how we're dealing and serving with our customers is so different, how we're all working is different. So we thought it would be a great opportunity now to push this forward, take a lot of the good things and promote that from the first class ceiling report and update. So we did... um, so we had about a 1,000 people fill out this hour-long survey so far. We're doing many interviews. Um, it's going to be based on qualitative and quantitative research, um, yeah, so we're, we're getting some exciting information that I think is really going to make, make it a better place for everybody.
2: Great, yeah, so that answers the question in the chat that it was our members and we also reached out to some leaders of the organizations to get insights.
1: Yes, right. So I th- yeah. And Intel is one of our leads, lead uh, partners on that. So they had about 200, about 20% of the people were Intel. And then the rest of them were, were, were qualified, witty members um, that worked at larger organizations, either in technology companies or technology organizations within non tech companies.
2: Yeah, and I'll add here is that one of the insights we got is like 31% of the respondents changed their
0: jobs last year. Mm, The great resignation, yeah.
2: Great. So, David, we talked about that it is so important to have diversity. But there is something missing, even if we are talking about diversity, people want to attract diverse talent, but hiring is not diverse as we have spoken to our members, they say that they go they apply, but they are not getting response, so what are the challenges hiring managers and candidates are facing now.
1: Sure. And I can speak to where I'm coming from and what I hear. And I speak to a lot of people every week, but, and just being, you know, in the search business for many years, kind of prior to starting witty, um, You know, I think it's, there's way too, there's a lot of automation, I think that makes it easier for certain roles and these ATS systems and just the overwhelming, over, just overwhelming, I think for many of the companies I think right now, joining communities, Kay, hey, like you've created, witty, there's several others, building those relationships is just key. So I'd say, you know, if you're a person looking for your next opportunity or if you're a company that, that wants to engage people, I just think the days of just posting jobs and going to career fairs and stuff like that for most positions are over. You know, I think it's really about you know, a connecting with the people and intentionally building your network so that you're going to be exposed to jobs. And and I'd say probably when I had my search business, maybe 60% of the jobs, there was never a rec. It was more, Oh, this person's available. Let's open a rec. This is an opportunity. Um, that's one. And then I think number two is um, just you know, getting your brand out there and and writing and contributing. There's so many great platforms now and resources and asking for support. So many of my friends, and I have friends from technology industry that, you know, I might've placed or just worked with 33 years ago that I'll still speak to once a month. So I think it's for, for those of you that might be on the, watching this that are maybe a little younger, that may not have been born when Woody started, this is a small world. Would you agree with that, Kay? I think so, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And, uh, you know, we, it's interesting. We are, we have a lot of people who interface with uh, customers here and what you're talking about, uh, things have changed. It definitely has. And I, I think pandemic has brought in a little bit more dynamic into all of this. Um, I It would be wonderful to see and hear from uh, both of you what you see in the research um, that has changed just in the pandemic times, for example, we can speak a l- lot about the customer support, customer success, uh, customer experience areas where people are not able to go, even people who are servicing hospitals um, were not able to go and they had to do things remotely, education changed considerably, as we know. Um, Saas businesses uh, changed considerably, uh, you know, trying to do everything from freemium support all the way to enterprise support. So um, I would love to hear from uh, both of you. Um, Nihirka, you can go. How sure. have you seen the employee expectations um, change during this pandemic? Give, me, give us some data. Exactly. Yeah, so as per the,
2: the report which we did, the survey which we did, so we have some now changed demands, like 49% of the respondents had dependent children, 22% were primary caregiver to an elder or dependent, and 33% were providing financial support for extended family members. Now these are the demands of the employees. And if the companies don't understand and empathize with this, it will be very difficult for them to understand what this the diverse employees need. And so another thing which we uh, figured, which we came to know was that there was a burnout. There was requirement in supply chain area. So there was a 32% reported burnout and 29% supported work from home, that they working from home during pandemic was really working out for them. So now the understanding that uh, a working parent, a mom or dad has to be in the daycare by four o'clock to pick up the kids. If companies and the hiring managers and the managers, they understand this, it will be easy for them to provide that flexibility which is needed by all kinds of employees.
0: Uh, David, it would be great to hear your, um, you know, on the same question um, on the pandemic. Have you seen what changes have you seen from a culture standpoint? You know, I, we know hybrid is coming up quite a bit. And to address the same uh, data that Nicarica uh, shared, people getting burnt out, people taking care of uh, somebody else, and people are actually loving um, uh, working from home. How have you... You know, what have you seen amongst the members with respect to culture change?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I just feel like the generation Mm -hmm. coming up really want to work for companies that align with their with their core values, right? The Earth, the planet, what's going on in society, Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, when we had incidents like Me Too happen, and what happened to George Floyd and a lot of companies will say they're doing things and and some authentically want to do things. Some, it's just they they're trying to say the right thing. So I think companies, I mean, people are going to look a little deeper. We're in kind of an open world now. Right. Employees that people are on LinkedIn. You can find people. You know, back in the day, it was like just hard to find names of the people I was trying to bring to Borland to Scotts Valley, you know? So now it's like, okay, pe- they can leave if they want. So what are we going to do as a company? What are important things to keep them there? You know, I think the family type environment, as Nihad mentioned, flexible work schedules. When she ran, she, when she stated some of those numbers, most of, pretty much all of the people that we surveyed were women. So, right, so women do have, you know, need maybe more flexible schedule, are supporting elders, kids, whatever else they have going on. How can, if companies want to engage women and have more women work for them, should the job description and way they're working look like for people like me? Because all the people like me created corporate structure, how we work and compete. Mm-hmm. You guys weren't really involved yet, right? Now, fast forward, more than 50% of the workforce. And I know that you and I, Kay, might look at the same problem. You may have one way of, of having a solution. I may have another way. Right. They're both, they both work, right? If yes. companies can, can offer us a way we can be fully authentic in how we're working, the company's gonna harness unbelievable power they've never experienced before. And um, yeah, so there's there's some good things happening now, I feel that, um, you know, again, I think the fact, I think what happens in the past two to three years of the pandemic has now just fast forwarded the conversation. So we can look at this, right? These original promises of the internet are finally here now. You know, one slide, <clears throat> one, one, one slide we had showed was just kind of a before COVID, it was, 9% of the people would work at home, sorry about that, um, 9% would work at home, 11% unlimited limited office, um, 41% mainly office, and the rest, oh, 39% office only, you know, we're, you know, then it went to 65% of the people had to work at home, was home only, In the next 12 months, we're seeing like 20% work work from home only, 52% limited office, where maybe they'll go in for a meeting or two. Um, Office only now is reduced to 6%. You know, and I think as we move forward, it's like, what do we want as humans? Do we want to spend our time in traffic, right? For those of us that work in tech, if we're working in customer success, customer support, do we have to be sitting at an office? I don't know if the right and how can companies really leverage the technology to to a serve their companies, serve their customers more effectively. Number two, make sure they have engaged, happy employees, because that's just going to lead to the success of the company. Right. And, and I think a lot of this stuff, too, without all the traffic and everything else is going to we're going to see some great numbers, hopefully coming out on the planet, and how we're going to save our planet as well. You know, yeah, it,
0: it's right. it's important. Uh, you know, the thing that you're bringing up, uh, we will share some of that information with the attendees. Um, some of those beautiful graphs that have come up for the research, and um, some of the information that came from the research. So, it definitely the dynamics of uh, the burnout, the people working from home finding talent has changed before COVID to uh, right now, absolutely, and uh, we are seeing that even when companies do the propaganda of uh, um, working, you know, doing remote work or hybrid, um, even if they bring in some of the flexible work schedules, um, um, even if they bring in the language that's needed in the job description, and also the ability to do interviews in a multiple uh, different way, um, um, there's still challenges in attracting diverse talent. Um, talent. So why is hiring not that diverse, and what you know what challenges? Um, um, in addition to what we talked about so far that bubbles up for either of you
1: yeah you know i feel it's you know i think a lot of them as i said earlier you know many of the wrecks never get open till there's somebody they want to talk to so they are kind of reaching out to their network there are a lot of opportunities now to expand your network to leverage places like Ascendo and what you guys are doing witty there's tons of them out there in different verticals. Um, How do you make sure that the pipeline, you know, I think the company's approaches, they have diversity recruiters. I guess those people are going and looking for names of women or underrepresented people or something, some things confuse me, what they're doing. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's just getting, making sure that, and I think we can do this for the people that both of us serve to really have them hone in. Where do they want to go? What companies align with their values? Who are the people they'd be working with? They'd be working for in the next couple of years, in the next 10 years. Let's help them build those relationships because this is all just relationship driven, right? It's not, a, it's not, right? It's mm. And then they're going in. I've been- Right. And I'm saying, you know, some, some of these, you know, some of our members, it's like a 20 year architect at IBM. They're getting interviewed by a very junior person at Facebook. I'm like, why is this person interviewing you, asking you technical questions when they should be rolling out the red carpet for you? Right. And I feel, you know, so I just feel like that piece is out of whack and that's something we're in the process of fixing now. Cause I'm not, we're not going for that anymore.
2: Right. And I'll add here, as David said, that our ways of hiring are still old and until we innovate, until we think out of the box. So in uh, one of the health insurance companies, I I was managing development and we wanted a tech lead. And when we first opened the rec, all the resumes were of uh, all all men, but we had to kind of go out of the way to make sure that we get not only the, the hiring person, but also we had to post on LinkedIn to get resumes from diverse candidates. So again, it's until and unless we think out of the box, until we innovate in this area, it will be very difficult to reach out to the candidates we need.
0: Yeah, I would love to um, share. I'm sharing uh, one of your uh, graphs. And it shows a, uh, you know, this one captures the employee expectations. We talked about the employer expectations. And uh, while this graph is here, it will be great to understand what you guys see from a mismatch of employee expectations and uh, the hiring manager expectations, or even a company culture, any mismatch that you see.
1: No, for sure. I think, look, right, there's there's some of the differentiators, pay, work-life balance, um, supportive management, right? I think some of the, those are definitely things people want. But, you know, anybody can offer more money, maybe have some similar things, you know, where we see some of the opportunities is in this um I'm moving my mouse, but I realized no one could see that. But in the upper left, under opportunities, right? You know, how can, here's the opportunities. We're going into, we're going to um, be going, and this is what I hear from some very in the know people is that in June, it's going to be the great resignation 2.0 that's going to be much bigger than the first one, right? So, you know, flexibility and schedule. 're getting we're getting so much so many comments of people white men white women they want to work with diverse teams they get how how important this is and then I'm speaking to many of our members that might be black women or, or women of color and you know that are have unbelievable experience but then they're getting hired by some of these companies you know that make it a mandate to recruit a woman for every time they you know have well, that's that may, might seem like a good thing to do from a PR standpoint. I get, I guess, but then it's like many of the women—they're—they're they're going in for these interviews where the people are half listening to them. They do get hired. They're kind of, you know, they feel like they're seen as like a token hire, so then they're not really getting the props and respect that they deserve because many of these people that have commented to me, I look at their backgrounds and I'm like, oh my God. And I see they know people that I know from way back in the day. So I can get like, you know, so I think it's horrible what a lot of these things have created, you know, and again, but hopefully we're coming out on the other side of it, right? There's a new ISO standard now on human capital and DEI, right? We're working with some investor groups on the east on the you know on, on Wall Street that control trillions of dollars in revenue right they want to look at or an investment they want to look at what what are companies doing with diversity is this just let's check the box let's you know try to look good when there's an incident or do they really get the business impact of these things and are putting in programs to really have people be included in the solution and contribute because we will see so much more innovation, which we have seen with some of the companies that get it right. Um, And just happier employees that, you know, want to work, give 110% and are able to do that within the environment. Right.
2: And the quadrant, which you shared one thing which really stood out was the opportunity for career advancement. So women and other diverse candidates, they are not just looking for flexibility in schedule or work-life balance. They really want to grow. They want to learn. And that's a key thing which, if companies can provide, that will help them uh, attract and uh, develop diverse talent. And when we did the survey for the members also, they mentioned that they are looking to learn technology. Like They really want to learn technology in a short amount of time. And like they don't want to spend eight hours learning something, say, edge computing. They want to just know what is edge computing, what are the use cases, in 30 minutes. And also, they are looking for professional development. So these programs, provided by the companies will really help them meet that objective of their career growth and advancement.
0: So uh, learning, um, it's it's one of those things, companies used to invest a lot into learning and building talent from within uh, the company and that kind of fizzled away and it was let to the um, uh, individuals itself. And it feels like it's all coming back and investing in the people, uh, growing them, uh, teaching them new skills, giving them new opportunities, but maybe in a much faster pace. Did I summarize this? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so there is a question. Um, uh, we are thirty-five minutes. There is a. There are. Uh, you know. We'll we'll go through some questions that coming in from the uh, social media channels, and then we can. Uh, go back to some of the uh, uh, research ones. So um, one is how do you create a job description that breaks the bias and attracts diverse
1: talent? Okay, I'll get this one. Um, How do you create a job description that does that?
0: So uh, interestingly, I know of a few startups that actually uh, uh, do in this area, and I I should probably bring some of them in. One one looks at multiple colors uh, from a candidate and um, 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 puts out, this is the personality from the psychology of this and how they would fit in and how diverse uh, um, uh, thoughts and uh, ideas they would bring in into the team. Um, I'm sure utilizing um, AI. So there are um, things like that that are coming up in the market uh, that uh, helps hiring managers look at diverse talent. Um, And I also know certain verbiage in certain kind of uh, um, 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 uh, language that needs to be utilized. To bring in diverse talent too, uh, those are the two that comes to my mind, uh, David Nihrika.
1: Yeah, well, I th- you know I think look, I think some things, right? There's there's job descriptions, and I, right, and they call headhunters, and I always liked being called a headhunter. That's what I would do when I worked in that business. You have to hunt if you're fishing. Right now the lake is empty, <laughs> so. Job descriptions, you know, I think people will use them in different ways, you know, now that they are using these AI tools, right? So four-year degree, is a four-year degree necessary? You know, when I was putting together the Quattro Pro Team, which I'll date myself for Borland, you know, I'd have one guy that went to a, went to a you know, community college for a year, but he had been, his parents bought him a computer when he was eight. He learned programming that way. Another guy, you know, master's in computer science, he was just an equal on the team as as John was, right? So I feel like, you know, looking, you know, I'd say to really focus on what they've been working on um, skills-wise, you know, I think, you know, I think we see that from a number of people, or I've heard that as far as job descriptions go, just the education and the four-year degree as mandatory? I don't know if that is in a lot of spaces, especially software development.
2: So That's great, David. And I will add here is that if I'm looking for a job, more than job description, I look at the company culture, because that I can find out. So is this company really supporting diverse employees, even if they mention it in one job description, if the culture, I, I will find out from my friends there or go to Glassdoor to see if the culture is really supportive of diverse employees. So yeah. that yeah. will be, I think that should definitely be put in job description that this is the company and this is the culture they are supporting.
0: I've yeah. actually had one woman um, told me they would go in into the website and look at the executive teams and see how diverse mm-hmm. the executive team is. And uh, um, that's one way that they assess if the team, um, uh, the company culture in itself promotes diversity, you are right on with respect to the culture
1: uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think that's good. And there's so many great forums to get this information. I mean, I couldn't believe it. This one company I work with and this woman, CMO, amazing lady, They were like rushing her into sales meetings because the client came in. There was usually like big governments with two women and two men. They had their four white men sitting there. They're like rushing her in to come sit at the meeting. She had nothing to do with. Right. I mean, I just feel like, you know, and that's, you know, this is about the company getting business. I don't know if the the diversity departments involved in that piece of it. You know, that's, listen, and that's what our goal is with Glass Ceiling 2.0, to move the, the DEI departments or JEDI or, you know, from these vertical organizations and companies, these have to be horizontal in the DNA of the company, right? Because it's going to drive sales, it's going to help employ engagement, it's going to help communication with customers better. And just until we do that, which we're going to be doing it soon, I feel like opportunity is being missed.
0: Yeah, it's it's um, um, brings since we we are talking about high level and leadership roles brings up the um, Biden uh, statement on having um, diversity in corporate boards, and it will be a great uh, uh, thing to understand what kind of executive programs does witty have to enable. Um, a leadership women.
1: Sure. Well, we're doing a few things. I mean, with um, you know, with with the Glass Ceiling 2.0 initiative, and and then Intel spearheading this thing called the uh, Alliance for Global Inclusion, and Nasdaq is part of that. So as we get the results, our hope in what we're starting to work on, I don't know what I can say can't say but is to work with NASDAQ, right? We did did write a letter on behalf of NASDAQ when they requested that uh, the SEC approve their request to have all NASDAQ listed companies have at least one woman and another diverse person on their board or explain why it shouldn't apply to them. Why did NASDAQ ask for this? Because they wanted to help the women? No because they wanted to help the diverse people? No, because they understood they want their investors to to invest in companies that are going to be here for the long haul. You can't do that without diversity of thought. Um, now, a lot of the NASDAQ companies <laughs> weren't really ready for that. So you know, but how can we use this data just to help them understand, right? This isn't yeah. like a witch hunt, who's doing bad, blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, the shareholders now have been able to connect with some groups that control trillions of dollars of investment. Let's help them improve. Let's analyze where some of the gaps are, where some of the opportunities are, and and, you know, help their stock go up so everybody's happy, right? I mean, that's what it's all about.
2: Right, and and what is witty doing for that? So we spoke to the executive women who are in our membership and we asked them what they are looking for. So they are really looking for leadership development program. And based on their feedback, we did a session on storytelling as storytelling is a, is a key skill everyone needs to inspire their teams and communicate the vision. So we started storytelling that was uh, last week, which is it's going to be ongoing. We have other leadership development programs like on emotional intelligence, which is so much as important as regular intelligence and social intelligence. And other than that, what, what other things which we are doing is that we have started these industry mm-hmm. networks, like our agile DevOps. Low code, no code. Everyone is talking about low code, no code, but what is it? So just come and join our program and then you'll come to know what exactly it is. And again, cybersecurity. So these are the things which are focusing on technology and leadership development.
1: Yeah. And Um, then we
0: also know Athena Chief, Um, they are in um, 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 Women 2020 boards. There are quite a few organizations that enable those. Right. Um, Interestingly, when we talk to uh, uh, corporate women, corporate women say that they want to join boards of startups and they always ask, how do I join the boards of startups? And startup uh, founders, um, um, uh, women and men founders say, we have so many people who want to join the boards, but they don't know what they are bringing into the table. Um, so it's a matter of what you're talking about with the leadership development is right on it's recognizing what can I contribute to what industry what kind of segment how can i um, how much am I willing to roll up my sleeves to expand my experience and my knowledge and my network to um, enable um, another company um, and we uh, see the most, uh, board advisors are the people who are thinking about this constantly and who know their strengths and what they bring to the table.
1: No, yeah. And we yeah we are start. So to answer that question, we are start, we just launched our Witty talent management program last week. We're going to have a segment on that specifically to get women onto boards and have them board ready. We have an amazing group of so far that have participated in it. And really, you know, it's like interaction. Um, one of them, Aditi, just left. She just left Accenture to take on a role at, at uh, DXC Technologies. Um, runs huge, huge PL. You know, we have many women that run billion dollar PLs that want to support other women, and, you know, we're just going to do it right. I know I've heard about 2020 boards and Athena and some of these other things. Not sure exactly what they're doing. I know a lot of these start as nonprofits. You know, we started witty as a for-profit, not that we've been making a big one or even one with a lot of the stuff going on the past few years. Don't donate to women, right? We have to change the whole mindset that this is an opportunity for companies, when I see, you know, when women come to our conference, oh, this, this multi billion dollar company is so generous. They let me volunteer at in our internal women's network and then pay me to go to the conference. I'm like, you know, for the men, they've got, they're playing, they're sending them to golf course, you know, golf course memberships, everything else. We have to shift that whole thing, right? And it's, you know, no handouts. Don't help the women, help yourself. And that's not our official motto yet. No one stands alone is our motto. But
0: uh, I love it. I love it. It's like, you know, there goes uh, most of the business decisions and um, talks happen within colleagues in a golf course. And that's right. You're building much more network there rather than um, a six, 7,000 person conference where, you know, Mm -hmm. you're lost (laughs) right on. Um, totally right on. Niharika, you had something to add to it.
2: Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the point, right? Especially women in sales, they come and they tell us that's a problem they face because I mean, it's uh, do all these decisions take place in golf courses? Then uh, that's, that's a disadvantage they have. And we really have to find other avenues for them to build the same relationships which are built at golf courses.
1: Yeah, and speaking of women in sales, we do have an initiative that's going to start in a couple months, and we've been doing all the data and just the performance of women in enterprise sales. And really within the whole sales ecosystem, from customer success to sales engineers, there's so much great data on how successful women are in that space, especially in technology. They're not getting the jobs and the opportunities. So we're really now creating something because we want to make sure that they're trained, ready to get those roles, that we're giving them ongoing coaching throughout, you know, something we haven't talked about two K today is, you know, just looking at a job description. If I'm a guy and I have 50% of it, I'm going to apply, you know, women from the stats we see, Oh, if it's not 90 or 95%, they're not going to apply. You know, I, so one thing we try to do every, you know, every week, I have a course I teach on Friday is like, you know, we is, you know, oh, you have Tableau experience, all these software programs, they change acronyms, this and that. Oh, you know, give yourself credit for what you know. And, you know, right, because you do you see that, Kay, a lot in your space? Yeah, right?
0: yeah. It's it's a it, uh, I'm right now in a dilemma. <laughs> we have a lot of questions coming in from social media and I'm trying to think which one should I uh, should we pick and we have 10 minutes. So I definitely think there's a lot of interest, a lot of questions coming in and a lot of information that's being shared. We were we are touching um, the executive program. We were touching the leadership women, and we were talking about um, that specifically. And um, um, so I'm, I'm, well, we, you're right on. And it's it's there are two things here, right? So, what difference do we see with women in tech? Um, especially, there's a lot of appreciation for the comments that on um, what needs to be changing post COVID. Uh, there's a lot of appreciation. Just so you both know. Um, uh, so what do we see as a difference for women in tech, um, um, versus non-tech? And I'm, I'm struggling with this question because all of us are pretty much tech basis. We don't yeah. see anything yeah. non-tech. So, um, I'm not sure where that, how uh, best to answer that question, but if you have any. Yeah.
2: So, so here I'll say that now everyone is a woman in tech because we all use this phone, which is the most amazing piece of technology so it's kind of if you are not in tech you know going to the resources where technology is simplified because it's it's not that you have to spend a lot of time just what this technology is and what problem is this solving so again and again to answer to even to get on boards is very important for women whether they are in tech or in non-tech to understand what this technology is and what problem is it solving having this idea will definitely help because now is everyone is in tech.
0: Uh, I have all to say really- even at Ando, some of our um, great hires in that brought in um, uh, amazing marketing and all of those experience has been in non-tech. So um, you know we, um, we are talking to somebody who's from the film industry and it's 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 definitely brings in a level of diversity that you know we are talking about. Um, David, you had anything to add here?
1: Yeah, no, I was going to say kind of similar to what Neha said, you know, it's about being tech savvy, right? You're, you're, you're higher from the film industry. Like that's a knowledge they're bringing. I know people say they're not tech when they've had the supercomputer in their pocket and people aren't tech. That always makes me laugh. Right. So it's like, you know, I think it's like leadership being tech savvy, Software companies have spent trillions of dollars to make things easy and have us not think about technology, but just use it to do what we do faster. So, yeah, I think it's really just owning it, being confident, speaking to it. Just, you know, you don't have a computer science degree, whatever. I learned how I learned about tech. I landed Borland as a client. You know, and I was I'd left school because I'm like, oh, this company is growing. And I said, oh, what's a printer driver? They'd go up on the board and show it to me. And, you know, and then I could understand where I needed to hunt for my people. Right. But I just think it's like I almost think like we have to rebrand technology. Right. Because I think people sometimes get intimidated. Oh, I'm not technology. i have going to go to computer Every
0: company is a tech um, company.
1: Right. kids growing up now with TikTok and stuff they're doing with 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 technology, whether it's social media or whatever, they're learning amazing analytics skills. They're right. I mean, all this stuff is transferable. So we've really got to look at, you know, rebranding technology, rebranding STEM, Steam, wherever you want to go, because I feel like, yeah, people are more technical than they give themselves credit for in a lot of cases.
0: You um, you work with uh, three hundred and so large um, uh, corporate partners. One of the questions that is, what you know, as you're talking to them, you go like, oh my gosh, that's an awesome policy and um, uh, procedure or a procedure that they have. Um, that's a best practice for somebody else. Can you uh, speak a little bit about some of those things that you have uh, seen?
1: niha do you want this one? Yeah,
0: and like, I
2: will not name, but we have one corporate partner who's like onto, f- they like 50-50. Like, I mean, I'm just taking the women example, that they have like communicated that whether it's uh, resumes, hire, it has to be 50-50. And they have been ki- kind of doing good. They have added some flexibility here and there to make sure that happens. So again, it's coming from top down and going and kind of expanding everywhere in the company that everyone has to make sure that the 50-50 thing happens. So again, it, until it becomes a mandate, until it comes from the top and until it gets ingrained in everyone in DNA, it will not happen. But our partners are really making that happen.
1: Yeah, and I'd probably say, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Salesforce we worked with and I'd worked with, with Mark Benioff back when he was at Oracle And he had called me after I left Borland. I helped him with some things. And, you know, what we're doing now, we have a whole hub on WITI dedicated to helping train our community on Salesforce technology because they want their customers to have great pools of diverse people to tap into. And then also to, um, you know, to really get out there. Programs they have, flexibility and work schedules, you know, more focused on the end results rather than how you get there and i think we'll start seeing a lot of that as some of these people leadership roles right because i mean that was you know if you know the history of salesforce you know he used to walk around like the demo conference with like the no bozos thing for software right because that whole thing it's in the cloud the you know back before that with internet with 3com we should be able to do anything from anywhere and that's, uh, I think that just helps, I think, you know, not especially women, I think men want this stuff too, but companies that can move to this type of environment will get all the great people.
0: Yeah. And uh, interestingly, uh, uh, in product development, when I was in product development, core engineering, number of women, they less, number of women founders doing B2B um, uh, core technology companies is even minuscule, the um, last statistics that we did at tie, it's less than 1% um, 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 B2B companies owned by females. So we do have um, um, a, a large gap in some areas, but areas like, for example, customer support and success. I, we see a lot of women. Um, we see a lot of diversity um, um, of women of people from various geographical region participating in success and um, um, experience roles, so in a way it is like uh, w- wonderful. So um, what we would love, you know, we have five minutes, one question, and then we can uh, wrap with that uh, uh, quickly. Women back to work. Um, we have a few organizations. A good friend of mine is um, 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 Akreya is also doing women back to work program. So, have you seen any of those implemented within um, your corporate partners? And um, if you know, what can the women back to work do in the remote world?
1: Yeah, look, I think that we've all learned we can be very agile in how we work now. So, I think it's up to the companies to create roles or just be open to people working at their pace and in their environments. I think. People that are so customer facing, like many people listening on this call, that should be a direct route to the boardroom. So I'd really like to figure out how we support these people that might be at this stage of their career now, you know, in a customer success, customer service role, and make sure we work together to get them a path to the executive suites and then to the board, if that's the direction they'd like to go. Because I just think they're... in the knowledge they have is unmatched.
0: So the the um, after Yamini from HubSpot uh, CCO, uh, the chief customer officer become the CEO. There is a, a huge trend going on, like the CCOs becoming CEOs next, right? So and uh, people are recognizing people who are talking to the customers are the ones who are in touch with the customers. Um, um, uh, so absolutely, absolutely, I think you know, right on. It's been a pleasure hearing a lot of the research, the data, and uh, uh, communications and uh, policies, procedures. We touched a lot in the last one hour. We did. And um, you know, there's plenty of amazing graphs that Viti has done in Glass Ceiling 2.0. We will uh, dissipate that to the teams. Um, any other questions or comments, we'll figure out a way to get you guys engaged and participate in those social media discussions. Uh, but thank you both for joining today and uh, dissipating your knowledge. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you Thank you, and your team for taking such good care of us and having us. And we're here to support you any way we can. And yeah, we'd love to partner and do whatever we can together. So looking forward
0: to it, David.
1: Great. and. and-
2: And thank you. And I'll add what David said, that some tangible takeaways, even if you meet 50% of job description, go ahead and apply.